Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. voice is a little bit hasty because I've had COVID about three weeks ago, so I'm still recovering, but I'm almost 100% there. You know, there's such a, there's a really deep, deep presence of God that I feel this morning. And it's there because God wants to draw you. It's just not there just to hang around. Whenever God shows up, there's always something. He just doesn't show up. When the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters because he's waiting for the Word to be released and put order, bring chaos into order. And so what you feel this morning, there is a presence that's dwelling because there's something that He wants to do. He wants to put things that are chaos in your life back into order. Praise God. Amen. So I want to give honour to Pastor Stan and to the rest of the ministry team. It's always an honour and a privilege to minister the Word of God. And we, the Bible says that they that teach the Word and preach the Word are judged harder. So we got to minister according to, you know, we got to pray and we minister to what God wants us to minister. And I believe that I have a word for this congregation this morning. We just lift our hands, we just lift our voice, just for the next few moments, just entertain the presence of God, because it's still hovering around here. And it's gonna hover around here all through the service. In the name of Jesus, Father, loose your presence, I lose your love. I lose your peace in this place. In the name of Jesus, I bind every unclean spirit, every pain, every hurt, every sorrow, every disappointment, every shame. Father, release the spirit of healing and revelation, understanding. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this time, in this hour, in this season. God, speak to us, mould us, change us. Make us, God, disciples. Make us, God, people that are walking after your spirit. God, not, not, not being afraid of what's happening to this war. But Lord, that we would just grow in you and be delivered and make whole so that we can be a powerful army of God in the end times. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm just... Like Brother uh, George, you got to listen to Brother George's message this morning. It was awesome. And so we're going to minister on the same topic on the hard or difficult sayings of Jesus. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye 
and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, and I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And verse 41, and whosoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And verse 42, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And I'm going to read 46 and 47 for context. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax, the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brethren, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And then verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your heavenly father or your father in heaven is perfect. Praise God. <clears throat> now from a human point of view and our first observation, these are difficult sayings. What do you mean don't resist when you're slapped on one side? What do you mean? You know, I'm going to slap you. <clears throat> and then turn the other side. And then he says uh, in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now under the Jewish law, there are a few garments that people wear. One is called an inner garment inside. That's called a tunic. <clears throat> and that tends to be an inner covering that you wear and it goes all, typically in Jewish culture, it goes from top of the neck all the way down as an inner garment. Then there is an outer garment, which is a cloak, which is a more expensive garment. It's something like a suit, right? <clears throat> or something like a, a, a warm clothing. It, it wraps you around. And so what Jesus is saying is that when you are sued for your inner garment and you've lost the case, what Brother George says, you've lost the case, don't fuss about it, but also give your outer coat, the more expensive one. So I've lost something that's cheaper and now I've got to give something more expensive? <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. And then it goes on to verse 41, and whoever compels you to go one mile Go with him too. In the New Living Translation says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it too. Now, under Jewish, under the Roman rules, the, the Roman soldiers could command you to carry his equipment for one mile. You've got to do it. But Jesus says, yeah, he's forcing you, but I want you to do more than beyond being forced. I want you to take it two miles. <clears throat> Okay, so all these three all these three sayings seems illogical. It seems difficult. It seems unfair. Right, most of the time it seems unfair. If your boss says to you, you know, I only want you to do this work, and then you've done it, then it's like, but how come you didn't do more than that? It seems unfair because that's what you told me to do. But yet that's what Jesus is telling us to do. He's telling us to do these things. And it seems like Jesus is telling us to be a doormat. Just be stepped on. Be tromped on. And it seems like Jesus is telling us to be a weak person. It seems like that. 
like, you know, don't resist. But reality is, and then you look at it, Jesus also draw, seems to contradict the Old Testament law that was given to Moses. Right, the law that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So everything Jesus says seems contradictory, seems, doesn't make sense, seems unfair. As humans, most of us will probably be honest and saying, oh, that's hard. It doesn't seem right to me. But if you dig further into the context of scriptures, that's not what Jesus is implying at all. That's not what he's saying. The Old Testament principle of an eye for an eye draws from Exodus 21. And it says here, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's all equal. Verse, and then in verse 26, and if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go for his eye's sake. In verse 27, and if he smite his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. This was a law called the, I'm trying to pronounce it, Lex, Lex Talios, if you're Greek, anyone here? <laughs> but the law, basically the law, the purpose of this law was actually to give justice to the innocent. Is to give the victim an equal amount to compensate them for what they've lost. So therefore, if you lost an eye, you've got to give the value of compensation equal to the eye. So therefore, he said, if you, if you struck your servant and he lost his eye, you've got to set him free. You don't, you don't go and allow the servant to pluck up the master's eye. He's not talking about it. He's saying you've got to set him free. So it was a compensation law. It was a law that was supposed to be just and fair because God is just. And if the, and if the victim lost his tooth, then you've got to compensate him for the equal amount to the, the, that, what his tooth is worth. So, and the, this law was only given out by judges. It was through the court system. And for judges to make right decisions, to give compensation to the personal injury of the victim, the equal amount worth to the value that was lost by the injured person. It was meant to be only for the judges. And Jesus finds no fault in the rule. He's not contradicting the rule. He finds no faults in the rule. And he's not rejecting the rule. So then what is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus talking about? He says, you've heard eye of an eye and tooth for tooth. And then he says, don't do that. So what is he trying to get that then? What Jesus was really pinpointing and honing into was when the people extended this law to private interpretation and to private conduct. And to make it an excuse to justify revenge. That's what he was trying to say. That's what he was trying to talk to the, his disciples. Don't make it an excuse that this law allows you to revenge. Because the people used this to retaliate. And they justified that, hey, the Bible says that. Eye for an eye, tooth and nerve. If you smack me, I smack you back. If you steal from me, I'll steal from you. Right? So they were using this law to retaliate. And this is what Jesus says. 
It declares that the law had no reference to private revenge. And it says it is not an excuse to retaliate evil for evil. When we are offended or hurt by others, because revenge is the work of the flesh. Revenge is the work of the flesh. And that is not God. Because God is holy, God is righteous, God is long-suffering. God is love, God is kind, God is peace. And so revenge is the work of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Hatred means hate. Variance means contention. I always want to fight with people. Emulations being fiercely passionate to revenge. Wrath means hot anger. Strife, self-seeking rivalry. Seditions, he says, and envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and, and such like of which I tell you before, as I've always also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God because it's the work of the flesh. And that's why Jesus says, don't return evil for evil because it's the work of the flesh. And it's also the work of the enemy behind the work of the flesh because that's not what God is like. God is loving. God is gentle. And then just a little bit back into that, whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let me just clarify, he's not referring to us being a doormat and standing there and being physically abused. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about being physically abused. If we're physically abused, you need to go to police. He's not talking about that. The law, even in Australia, and the law in general, which is founded upon the Bible principle, allows us the right to defend ourselves when we are in danger. When I'm in danger and my family's in danger, I'm allowed to defend them. I don't stand there and turn the other cheek. We're not talking about that. He's talking about being, you being offended, you being insulted, you being shamed by others. He's not talking about physical abuse, right? So we can defend ourselves. But here's the thing. There's a difference between what he's trying to get into is when you're insulted and hurt and shamed and offended. Is He's saying don't react evil for evil, but respond good for evil. And there's a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is I do to you what you do to me. If I poke you, you poke me back, you react. Responding is different. Responding is, you've hurt me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond the right way. I'm going to respond good for evil. I'm not going to react. Okay, so the different, and Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, don't react, respond. Because reality is that there are no winners in revenge and retaliation. No winners. We think we're winning, but truly is there's no winners. Because anger only creates more anger. Have you, have you heard time, and it happens to me, like, man, I'm just going to blast that out so I can feel good. But after you blast me out, you feel bad. <clears throat> because really, 
Anger produces no winners. And violence births more violence. But violence births more violence. It's a never-ending cycle. So, because none of that is God. So there are four responses that Jesus wants us to respond. There are four that he wants us to respond by. And these responses benefits both us and the other person who has offended us. So there's winners for both sides. There's winners for both sides. The first one is to offer mercy and forgiveness. To offer mercy and forgiveness. 1 Peter 2.23, this is Jesus when he was when he himself was offended and hurt. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly or righteously. And here's a deception of retaliation. Retaliation feels right. It feels right. It feels, in fact, it almost feels good. You know, this thing rise up and demand, I'm just going to retaliate. It feels right. And, sometimes, and often deception is that something feels so right, how can it feel wrong? Or how can it be wrong? It feels so right, it's got to be right. But truth is that that's a deception. Retaliation feels right, but it doesn't make it right. Jesus did not seek revenge, die on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know, do not know what they are doing. <clears throat> and so we're talking about forgiveness. Being the greatest power, one of the greatest power of the, of the whole entire Bible is the power of forgiveness. That's one of the greatest power. <clears throat> the world is seeking for an answer, and it's forgiveness. That is one of the greatest power in this world. It's not the power of you having the power to act on your revenge. But forgiveness is far more powerful. It takes a stronger person to forgive. And Christianity is really founded upon the power of forgiveness. Because Jesus says, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing when they crucified him. When the world crucified him. And I'll tell you how powerful it is. If he, did not, if he did not forgive, no one in this world could be saved. No one. He could have called angels. He could have called legions of angels because they said to him, if you're the son of man, why don't you call angels and set you free? He could have done that. If he called legions of angels and set him free and destroyed the Roman soldiers and the people who hated him, and who demanded him be put to death, then we would not be saved. But he cried out before he died, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if you read in Matthew 27, 50, you watch what happens after the forgiveness. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. His forgiveness shook the foundation of the earth. His forgiveness literally set resurrection. 
That's the power of forgiveness. It sets people free. And likewise, when we forgive, it shakes whatever's holding us. It resurrects what's in us that is dead. That's the power of forgiveness. And so Jesus said, why, why revenge when you can forgive? There's something that's greater than that. It's the power of forgiveness. For anything to be resurrected, it must first be dead. That's why you resurrect. So here's the question. What's dead in our life? What's dead in our life? Broken dreams? The the disappointment that we have failed? That we had a dream that we never reached to? We had a dream that we were young, when we were in high school, uni, 20s, 30s, we wanted to be something, but we just end up being something else in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And it's holding us back because we're dead. These dreams have that we, the regret of it. Broken relationships. Relationships that are dear to us. But there's so much pain and hurt in that relationship that we just don't even know that can that relationship ever mend. And it's, it's just, it has just hurt us and it's just put us into this grave that we see no way out of. Forgiveness is the first step to set you free from that grave. Because when Jesus forgave, the graves opened. Got to forgive. Because forgiveness is not about who is wrong or who is right. It's not about that. It's not about who is wrong or who is right. Forgiveness is a gift that you are giving and releasing that person who hurt you. Forgiveness is releasing the pain and the hurt to God and letting God set you free. Forgiveness is the emptying of things that is holding you so that you now have the space and the room for God to come in and reside with you and to fill you up with his love and his peace and his joy that brings healing. Forgiveness is an emptying of yourself. It's not about the other person. And when they see you forgive, they will begin to forgive too because they're saying, "Why I offended you, but why are you forgiving me? You see, when, when, when Stephen was stoned and the Paul or the Saul, Saul became the apostle Paul, but he was a young man, Saul, and he said that the, the priests and the Pharisees lay their coats on the side near Saul. He was a young man, very zealous in passion and persecuting the Christians. But when he saw Stephen being stoned, He looked at Stephen and Stephen said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe that Saul saw something that shook him, that stayed with him. And that was the power of forgiveness. And he became one of the greatest apostles. Because they witnessed something, it was forgiveness. The second response that Jesus wants us is to be the stronger or better person. Romans 15, 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, let the strong help the weak. It takes more strength to forgive than to retaliate. And a righteous man is categorized by his humility. So there's a principle, it's called the stronger 
help the weaker. When someone offends us, they don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus says, they know, don't know what they're doing. They lost themselves. They don't have God. And so when they offend you, they're, they're not there. So they don't know what they're doing. So we know what we, we know God and we gotta be the stronger one. We're the one that's gonna offer the hand. And it takes more strength to do that. It takes humility to do that. We don't have to win every battle. You don't have to win every battle. And it's not about winning anyway. It's not about winning wrong or right. It's about reaching that soul. It's about reconciliation in relationship so that we can lead them to Jesus. <clears throat> and when someone asks us for help, be the stronger one and go the extra mile. I have a colleague, he's a believer in Christ and he does excellent work at work. But every time you ask him for help, he'll just say to you, go do it yourself. Every time, nah, find out yourself. But he always pro profess, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. No, I don't do that, I'm a Christian. That's fine, you profess that. But your attitude and your fruit is not there. He's not going the extra mile. And so if, if people see that, then they say, well, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of God do you serve? Right, so going the extra mile is, it's not just professing what we believe, but are we doing what we believe? Are we actually living as, as a person who believes in Christ, believes in his mercy, believes in him, his humanity? The third point is we are the salt and light of the world. We are the salt and light of the world. Matthew 5, 13, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Salt and light, we're called to be salt and light because people don't see Jesus. They don't see him. They don't even know they want to see, they don't even know they, don't even know they need him. Because the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people, lest they see. So people can't see Jesus, but they see us. They see you and me at work. They see me, they see you and me at the shops. They see you and me at wherever. They see, in fact, they see you and me when they are in our face offending us or hurting us because they're looking at us. They see you and me, but they don't see him. So we are the only one that reflects who he is. If we reflect his love, they see his love. If we reflect anger, they see, well, you're a Christian, but you're no different than me. That's why Jesus says that if you love those that love you, what different are you? If you only love your brethren, then what different are you? Can we love people who are different to us, who look different to us, who have different status to us, who are born different cultures to us, different skin color to us? Do you know that? Why the Lord allows 
so many different nations and so many different cultures and so many different skin colors because they want to see how we treat each other. Can you treat them as a human being or treat them by their external cultural upbringings or their titles and their positions? That's not what the cross is about. The cross is about equal in loving and reaching everybody <clears throat> because that's what salt and light is about. But before we can be the light of the world, we first got to be the salt of the world. Before we can be the light of the world, we've got to be the salt of the world. Because light is bright. Light is bright. If you're in a room and you've been in that room in darkness for long and there was a light that came in your, it shined to your face and your eyes, it's bright. It's piercing. It actually hurts. It hurts. Light can hurt. That's why we don't shine light straight away into people's face. That's why Jesus says, be the salt first. Salt is tasty. Salt seasons things. Our conduct and our attitudes either draw people or repel people. Does our attitude draw people to us? Or do they see us and avoid us? Oh, here's that guy again. He's shoving down light in my face. Or do they see you and draw to you? Like, wow, there's just something about that brother there. That sister there, I'm just drawn to them. Because people are observing us. They are. They are. They want to see how you react in difficulties, in offenses, in problems in life. Because all of us have problems. Christians, non-Christians, we all have problems. In fact, we have the same problems. The price of petrol is going up. <clears throat> price of bread is going up. No toilet paper. We've we got the same problem. But how do we react? It's the difference. Your reaction is what people look at, not the problem. Salt is going the extra mile. So my neighbor came to me this, just, just yesterday. <clears throat> and he called me and he said, Oh, can you cut, me this, cut, cut this wood out for me? And he brought it over. In my, first, in my, in my mind, I never told him, like, Hey, can't you just cut it yourself? <clears throat> and and I was, in my mind, I'm like, I was I'm just going to give you the saw and go cut it yourself. <clears throat> but it, I'm, I'm ministering this message. <clears throat> and the Lord is testing me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be the salt. I'm going to cut it because he will remember it. That's what salt is. It's going the extra mile. It's inconvenience. But salt, because I'm going to be tasty to him. Right? Not in that sense, like eating, but tasty. <laughs> Attractive. Right? He's going to remember. It's the little things you do for people, that little extra mile. It's salt. It's salt. It's salt. And when... When problems come in their life, you know what? The first thing they have come in their mind is, I'm going to call that brother. I'm going to call that sister because I know they care. Salt. Be salt before we're light. I'm telling you, when you're salty and you're light, it's salty first, light can come later. It's easy because they trust you. They trust you. No one listens to us until they trust us. Trust is the powerful, powerful currency. 
It doesn't matter if you're saying truth until they're blue in the face, but if they don't trust you, they're not going to receive it. Salt brings trust. And that's why I love this saying, unless someone knows how much we care, they don't care how much we know. Caring is salt. Are you salty? That's what Jesus says. Are you salty? Because if you're not, then it's not good for anything. That's not my word. That's his word. Are you salty? Are you salty? If you're not salty, then you need to get into salt, which is God himself, to become salty. In Proverbs 13, uh, 11, 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. 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 Be salt of the world. And then be light. And um, the fourth thing is the last one. We're called to love. We're called to love. First John 4, 7 to 21. First John 4, 7 to 21. Behold, let us love one another. For God, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There are nine forms of love in the Greeks. There's, if I'm pronouncing it probably wrong again, philatia, love, which is a self-love, self-esteem. There is storge love. It is a love between parents and their child. So it's a devoted love, devoted love to my children. Um, then there is filial love, which is the, the hallmark of friendship or brotherly love, loving your brothers and your sister. All these forms of love are either conditional or it's just human to human. But there's another type of love that is called agape love. And that is God's love. God's love is, or agape, is unconditional love of God. There's no condition to it. He just loves us. We don't earn it, nor can we. It is unselfish. It does not require anything in return. God just loves you whether you love him or not. And Apostle Paul sums it up that his love is long-suffering. Long. Suffering means God suffers long. Even though he loves us and we don't love him back, he suffers long. It says love is long-suffering, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the depth of God's love. It's far more than our love. It's just deep, it reaches in, and God's love is genuine. There's no ulterior motive in it. He doesn't love us so that we, he can get something out of us. He loves us because he loves us, because he's our father. He made humans, he loves humans, because we're his children. And so we're called to love. And I won't take much longer, I'm almost finished. We're called to love. But if you're really honest, it's not easy sometimes to love. There are just some people that you find it is difficult to love. There's something about them that annoys you all the time. And I know, I can already pinpoint my head, a few people I know that I just find, man, this guy's really hard to love. <clears throat> it just annoys me every time. But 
I want us to read that scripture one more time. In the same one, First John there. Behold, let us love. That love there is agape. Behold, let us agape, which is God's love. Let us love one another for agape, which is God, right? God's love. For love, or agape, is from God, and whoever agape has been born of God and knows God. So in other words, what God is saying is that you can, I'm asking you to love people through my love, through my spirit. They're difficult to love by your human human strength and human love, but you can learn to love them when you are born of me. When you are filled and full of my love, you can love them. That's what he's called the church to be, full of his love, filled and full of his love so that we can love the world. Because the world is not an easy place to love. I'm talking about people, not talking about lifestyle, but people. We're called to love through his love. And God offers his love to others through us. And that happens in Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God, agape, the love of God, agape, is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We all can experience this agape. If you've never experienced this agape, you can have it this morning. It's being filled with His Spirit. It's being filled with His Spirit. And if you've had the Holy Ghost, are you full of it? Because when you're full of it, you're full of agape. If you're finding it hard to love others, it's because agape has diminished. You still have the Holy Ghost. But it's not active. It's not full. It's got to be full. This glass has got to be full. This agape, is it spilling over or is it empty? You've got the Holy Ghost, but are you full of it? And God is calling the church to forgive, to be the better person, to be the salt and light of the world, and to love because the world needs us. The world needs us. The world needs us. Praise God. Can we just all stand? Can we just all close our eyes and just lift our hands? I just want to pray. Father, it is hard, Lord, when we're offended and when we're hurt, to just... Turn away. It's painful, Lord, when someone emotionally abuses us or speaks to us in a harsh way. But God, you've given us something greater and it's called the spirit of grace. It's called your love. It's called your peace. And I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, I loose that upon the people now. I loose the spirit of peace. God, I just pray. Come, let's lift your voice. Let's tell God, let's forgive. Lord, I release myself from the things that, that I've done wrong. I release it to you, God. I release all the people that have offended me, God.
I release them to you. Hallelujah. Father, your love touch each one. In the name of Jesus. Come and just push a little bit more. We've got to push through a bit more. The Spirit is here. It's, it's hovering because it wants to do something. Come, let's pray. Father, we release to you. Lord, I release the person that hurt me. I release what that teacher said to me. I release my spouse. I release my friends. I release my brothers. I release my work colleagues. I release everyone that has hurt me. Father, and I release. Hallelujah. I, this altar is open. I invite you to come and just spend time. And just spend time with God and just pray and let Him fill you up with His Spirit. Fill you up full, full of the Holy Ghost, full of agape. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Lee, for the Word of God. Altar is open right now. God has ministered to the church this morning. We need to respond to God's Word. If it's up to me, I need everyone should be in altar this morning because that's what we face every day. We can have pain, suffering, hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness in our life because what we face, what we're going through. But God can set you free this morning. Hallelujah. Whatever you may go through. Hallelujah. Come and give it to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with your situation because God will bring peace and victory to your situation if you surrender your situation to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah.